Hello, this is Mike Van Meter. Welcome to the Recovery is Possible podcast. I want to thank you for joining me. You can reach us at our Facebook site, which is also called Recovery is Possible, or our website, which is vanmeterwellnesssolutions.com. This podcast exists to educate the public about addiction, remove the stigma associated with addiction, and offer help and support to those suffering from addiction. So this pod, this episode is sponsored by FHE Health, a substance abuse and mental health treatment center specializing in treatment for the first responders' needs, including PTSD, anxiety, and substance use. Take the first steps to a better life today by visiting FHEHealth.com. That's FHEHealth.com. So today, I'm really excited to have uh, an old friend of mine, and I do consider him a friend of mine, uh, the Honorable Nelson W. Roop, Jr., and uh our relationship goes back, I don't know how many years now, but we met through a mutual friend um, in recovery, and I have uh, known Judge Roop for, you know, like I say, a, n- a number of years and just was, became intrigued and excited about the work that he was der- doing on a court that he was on, and we're going to talk about that today. And as many of you know, I was also an instructor down at the FBI National Academy teaching uh, leadership courses to police executives from around the world. And I developed a course called Leading At-Risk Employees, which dealt with uh, alcoholism, uh, prescription drug abuse, PTSD, suicide, all that fun stuff to police executives, discussing programs, policies, and procedures that uh, we recommended that they have in their agencies. And Judge Root came down and did a presentation to uh, our group down there, and it was very, very well received, and, and we appreciated all of his time. And just by way of background, Judge Roop uh, was an associate judge on the Sixth Circuit Court for Montgomery County in Maryland, and he served as a judge on that court since January 17th of 1997. And uh, Judge Roop ran for re-election on the Sixth Circuit Court in 2014 in winning a new term which expires on December 31st of 2029. However, he did retire uh, April of 2019. And um, just really excited to have Judge Roop. Judge Roop, welcome to the program. Thank you, Mike. Thank you, Mike. Thanks for having me. And uh, I appreciate the opportunity to talk about my uh, experience as a circuit court judge uh, in Montgomery County. And as that experience uh, relates to my uh, long-term recovery, uh, I've been in recovery now uh, since August 201980. And, uh, and as you mentioned, I was appointed to the circuit court in 1997. Prior to that appointment, I was a district court judge uh, from 1993 to 1997. None of that would have happened uh, if I were not uh, in long-term recovery uh, because it's the, the principles of recovery, uh, the learning how to uh, live life comfortably sober and applying those principles in my everyday life uh, is uh, something that has caused me to experience great joy and, uh, and, and personal satisfaction and personal success. I mean, my, my, my personal story essentially can be summed up in one word, denial. And, uh, you know, overcoming that denial and being willing to be self-honest and being willing to accept uh, the need uh, to apply the 12 steps of recovery has, uh, has, has just has been a terrific journey. I've experienced gifts that I never would have otherwise experienced, but for the gift of recovery. And, uh, you know, the highlight of my judicial career was when I uh, designed, started, and implemented our adult drug treatment court in Montgomery County Circuit Court. The purpose of our court is to break the cycle of the nonviolent addicted offender continuing to commit crime as a result of their addiction because the underlying disease of addiction has not been addressed. And uh, it it took two years to implement this uh, uh, drug court it required a buy-in by the prosecutors, the public defenders, pro and probation, the sheriff, the police department, health and human services, and, uh, you know, people of disparate agencies, frequently at odds, developing a, a team approach. And uh, because we all recognize that if the underlying issue of addiction isn't addressed, then the offender will continue to go back out and commit new crime. So... We accepted our first drug court participant back in 2004. 
and uh, we, have, we have basic requirements in our drug court. And that is they have to undergo random urinalysis, drug testing two to three times per week. They have to go to treatment sessions or licensed counseling uh, two to three times per week. They have to live in approved sober housing. They have to attend 12 step meetings two to three times per week, obtain a sponsor, obtain a home group, get a service position. And then they also have to come to court on a weekly basis. So it's it's a lot of requirements, and uh, one of the one of the things that we decided to do was to focus on the repeat repeat offender. Uh, you know, if we're going to spend this kind of time, effort, money, resources, we want it we want to devote it to the people who need it the most. And frankly, the first and second offender are in all likelihood not uh, addicted to drugs or alcohol, and they have, you know, go through the experience of coming to court and hopefully they won't be back. So the repeat, repeat offender is are the individuals that we focus on and, uh, in part, and our requirements, uh, of having a job, uh, are critical. But what are one of the hallmarks of our drug court is our ability to change as issues arise. For example, uh, I had, uh, within the first, uh, couple of months of drug court, uh, we have a, a drug court participant uh, uh, who didn't have a job. And, 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 I, and I said to my case manager, I said, why doesn't Hussan have a job? He's a good looking guy. I know he's out there trying. He's working hard. Uh, why didn't he have a job? And she kind of scrunched up her eyes and looked at me sideways. And I'll tell you why he doesn't have a job. Because he has to come to court once a week during the week. How's he going to get anybody going to hire him if he's got to miss a day during the week, every mm-hmm. week? So, uh, so we moved our court sessions to night court. One of the few courts, if not the only court in the country that has a night court, uh, so that our individuals can have a job during the day. And you would, when you think about the court system, the process involved, the court administration, the clerks, the sheriffs, public defenders, state's attorneys agreeing to have sessions at night, we would think it would be a major undertaking to make that change but it wasn't. It happened overnight because everybody recognizes that this is the one program in the court system that has a positive outcome and makes a change and makes a difference. So we moved it to night court. The other change that we, uh, that we developed was we obtained, we entered into a partnership with the Oxford house movement uh, because it is a requirement of our individuals that they live in approved sober housing. You go back to the same environment where you were before. It's just a matter of time before you start using again. So approved sober housing. They must live in approved sober housing. So that was a big change. Another one was uh, it was creating a 501c3 uh, for funding to support our drug court participants. Uh, and that addresses uh, education, vocational training. Uh, for example, many of our drug court participants have gotten CDL licenses. We have a a partnership with Montgomery College. We have a, a vocational counselor through Montgomery College to work with our individuals so they, they can get their GED, uh, get an education at Montgomery College. And also that 501c3 uh, addresses uninsured medical needs. Uh, we think about it, one of the underlying reasons, the basis for addiction, I certainly can attest to this, is low self-esteem. I don't think I'm good enough you know, used to escape the way we feel. And uh, so, you know, awful lot of people come in and they're missing teeth. They, you know, look at themselves in the mirror and they don't like the way they look. Uh, so we we help them get their teeth fixed. Had one uh, drug court participant, uh, she had a cyst the size of a golf ball on her forehead. And, uh, you know, so we paid to have that removed and the, you know, you could just see the change that, that, that overcame her with her improved physical appearance. We also, uh, increased the length of time that it takes to complete our drug court. Initially, you come into drug court with a significant sentence hanging over your head, uh, and you do everything perfectly to graduate in 10 months. Well, as we all know, uh, the longer we do something that we don't want to do, but we're forced to do, the easier it becomes to make that a habit 
and make that a way of life. So it now takes, on average, two and a half to three years to complete uh, drug court. Uh, so we, and, and as I said, we focus on the repeat repeat offender. And uh, when when people uh, graduate from drug court, uh, they have their lives back, their families back. And uh, drug court uh, graduations happen uh, twice a year, uh, and it's it, and they are truly moving ceremonies. You know, you see people who come into drug court and they're viewed as hopeless and helpless and losers, and the reality they're not. You know, they have a disease. We all, we have a disease of addiction, and uh, addressing that disease, accepting that disease and becoming contributing members of the community. And we see the change that, that they're experiencing in drug court. Uh, you know, a couple of people stand out. You know, no, every person who graduates from drug court is a miracle. But, you know, I remember this one individual came in, and when he came into drug court, he, he was about 38 years old, looked like he was about 78 years old. And uh, he had a head injury, uh, about... Uh, 40 prior convictions, and I'm looking at him, and I'm thinking, there's no, no way this is going to work, but you never know. You never know, and he came in, and he just was committed to recovery. He now has 10 years clean and sober. He has started his own 12-step group for people with head injuries through the Montgomery County Department of Health. And, uh, you know, a couple, few years ago when the Pope was in town, I'm listening to WTOP radio and I hear, uh, his voice on the radio. He has a distinctive voice and he did, I knew right away who it was. And he's on WTOP radio talking about meeting the Pope. I'm going, are you kidding wow. me? He met the Pope. Uh, yeah. And yeah. he's on the radio. <laughs> yeah. 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 And, and another one. Uh, you know, when she came in, uh, she couldn't put a sentence together. She was hallucinating. She was delusional. And this is another one. I thought we just are, are wasting our time here, but you never know. You never know. It's part of the miracle of recovery. Uh, and when she graduated, she's standing up in a packed courtroom, uh, elegant, poised, addressing the court. And while she's talking, I see this uh, individual, this man, approaching the, the, her at the, at the front of the court from the back of the courtroom. And I'm looking at him and I'm looking at the sheriffs and I'm thinking, hey, what is going on here? And he comes up to her. She puts her arm around him and she says, this is my son. I gave him up for crack cocaine. Crack cocaine meant more to me than my son. He's back. He's in my life and I love him and he loves me. And wow. you know, that, yeah, I mean, you know, the, the courtroom just dissolved in tears. I mean, it was, it, it was something else, something else. And uh, so it's, uh, you know, we've been doing this now for uh, 17 years uh, in drug court. You know, even though I'm retired, I still go back and preside over drug court. Two other judges uh, now have the primary responsibility, but. I still sit in drug court sessions. I'm still involved in drug court, and it's uh, and it's it's just been a real uh, gift to be able to do this. And I would not, frankly, have been able to do it, and I and we would not be enjoying the success we have enjoyed. But from my own experience in uh, recovery and uh, and being able to apply the principles of the twelve steps to our program in drug court, uh, it's. Um, because as we know, it, it, it's not just staying clean, it's, it's change. It's changing how we do things, changing our approach to things. And one of the biggest problems that, uh, that I experienced in drug court, uh, which frankly I hate to admit, was you know, I just assumed that uh, you know, we, we get people in, they stay clean, uh, they're able to maintain a period of sobriety, uh, then they're going to get their lives back. Well, you know, but but people, there are individuals who have thinking, criminal thinking is what we call it. And, uh, you know, I just remember this, this, what really hit me, I think it was the first year or so of drug court, young, uh, young woman, you know, real positive, upbeat, cheery personality, kind of a magnetic uh, presence. Uh, she gets arrested for shoplifting 
uh, at the giant. I'm going, what is going on? She's been sober and clean for 10 months. Why is she shoplifting? You know, it, it, because that is a way of life for a lot of people growing up in an environment where crime is a way of life, criminal thinking. Uh, and so it's, uh, it's about change and, and addressing that change, addressing that approach uh, is, uh, is part of what we do because as, as we all know, uh, the person, uh, I was will use again if I don't change. And, uh, so it's, you know, that's, that's, that's certainly what the 12 steps are. Uh, it's, it's learning how to, uh, accept the unacceptable. It's learning how to live life comfortably sober. And it's recognizing that there's nothing that can happen that's worth using over. Absolutely nothing. So it's, uh, you know, fear is, is the motivator. Uh, you know, the, uh, you get the gift of desperation occurs uh, when we have nowhere else to go and recognizing that, you know, uh, in admitting that we've had enough and we're done. And, and it's at that point where that willingness sets in. And what we do in drug court is try to create that gift of desperation, that fear as a motivator uh, to force individuals to do what they would not otherwise want to do so they don't have to go to jail to the Department of Corrections. And, you know, we recognize that, uh, you know, the vast majority of people who come into our drug treatment court uh, are coming in essentially as a get-out-of-jail-free card. You know, they're going to you know, I quiz them when they come in. I, I grill them. I say, this is what we're going to have. This is what you're going to do. You're going to have to do all these things. You're willing to do it. And of course, they all say yes. And then I'll say, why? And then they say, because I need help. And, and uh, I say, yeah, you know, I can uh, I see that that's what you're saying. But, uh, you know, only you know if you really mean it. Only you know if you really believe it. So so they come in. And, uh, and then once we have them, you know, with the requirements that we have of, not only staying clean, but getting involved with the 12-step program of recovery results in significant successes that our uh, our individuals have enjoyed. So it's uh, we have a real team of case managers who work with our people for for living, employment, uh, family issues. We have licensed clinical social workers that they work with on the on the addiction process. They have a sponsor and make sure that they're going to meetings. They have to turn in slips to verify they're going to meetings. And, uh, and I, I always ask them when I, when I see them, I say, what step are you on? And, uh, what's your sponsor having you doing? And, and what are you doing on a daily basis? And, you know, what issues are you having? You know, because it's, you know, life happens as we know, you know, just because we're clean and sober doesn't mean that life doesn't happen. And, uh, so, so part of, the process and the success of recovery is uh, learning how to accept life on life's terms and, uh, and recognizing that we all need help. So it's, uh, as I said, it's been a highlight of my judicial career uh, starting and, uh, and implementing and uh, presiding over our drug treatment court. And drug treatment courts are not unique uh, in, uh, in Maryland or Montgomery County. Uh, they were first started back in uh, 1989 in Dade County, Florida. Uh, Judge Klein and Janet Reno, who was the attorney general, uh, started the first drug court. So it's now it's a nationwide program, and, and uh, you know almost every county in Montgomery County has a drug treatment court. But uh, you know, I think being in recovery myself gives me a perspective on how people are thinking. Uh, when they come in, how the addict, how the alcoholic is thinking and, uh, and recognizing that it's one thing to stay clean, but it's another thing to change. And what I tell them, I tell them self-honesty is the hardest part. You know, we, we all, you know, we don't want to accept responsibilities for, for mistakes that we make. We don't want to accept responsibilities for, uh, our conduct. We want to rationalize, justify, deny, as opposed to saying, I made a mistake. I'm sorry. It won't happen again. And I'll change the way I do things. So it's a, it's a process and it's been highly rewarding for me personally. And, uh, you know, just seeing people who are looked down on as hopeless, helpless losers, uh, become winners 
uh, and get their families back and get the joy of living and seeing them smile and laugh and enjoy life. It just, uh, it just makes it all worthwhile. So gone on longer than uh, you probably wanted me to. No, it's been great. Uh, No, it's really good. And um, I I have some follow on questions, if you don't mind. Um, What we're going to do, let me just uh, just read a note from our sponsor here. And uh, we'll get into some of those questions because this is really, really good stuff. And I appreciate you explaining all this to us. So I'm learning some new things as well. So this episode is sponsored by FHE Health. FHE Health has been providing life changing behavioral health services for more than 20 years. They treat substance abuse and mental health disorders in an individualized and comprehensive approach. Recognizing the specialized treatment needs of the first responder community, they've created Shatterproof, a dedicated program for law enforcement, fire rescue, and similar communities to receive treatment among peers. They're experienced in providing privacy and working with unions for employment. FHE Health is committed to providing the best care experience for our patients, for their families, and for our community. Learn more at FHEHealth.com. So, you know, I, I have to say, when it comes to drug court, um, my opinion on this, this whole topic has changed since I've been in recovery in years. And it's funny, I, I, you know, I like how you take the recovery approach to what you're doing because I think it's so true. And for those of you that are not in recovery that, are, that need to be in recovery and are contemplating recovery, there, there's a concept that I heard early on that um, was kind of a theme throughout what you you had in your discussion here with us today, Judge Rupp, and that is that we don't expect you to change much in recovery. We just expect you to change everything, right? Because whether it's our lifestyle, whether it's our addiction, we, we become creatures of habit. We do something a certain way, and that way doesn't work. We, we've proven um, by the time you end up at a 12-step meeting or you end up in a courtroom, something's not working. Whatever you're doing isn't working and you need to change it. And oftentimes, you know, I hear with people that I work with in the community and, and the, the community I work primarily, not exclusively, but primarily with is the the first responder community. And that is, well, you know, I, I hear you, Mike, but I'm going to do this or I'm going to do that or the way I do things is this. And, and I always tell people, look, I wouldn't even be talking to you if that was working. You might want to try something different. Now, where my thought pattern has changed is, I, when I came, when I got into successful long-term recovery, I was adamant that you know this is something you do on your own. I, you know, I, I have the adage, I have had the adage that is that if you want to get well, there's a lot I can do for you. If you don't want to get well, there's nothing I can do for you. And so, to me, the idea of making somebody go to twelve-step meetings uh, was foreign to me, and it's not really something that I accepted early on. But I, I think now, in time, with time and sobriety, and being around people and watching how people work, I'm more of the school of thought that sometimes people need there. There, there has to be a, a catalyst in somebody's life that causes them to want to change because, you know, when you're in the depths of addiction, you are not capable of seeing what everyone around you clearly sees. And that is that your life is a disaster. And sometimes, and it seems obvious to everybody, but except to the person that's in the fog and the depths of that, that addiction. And sometimes it takes a situation where it's like, look, you don't have a choice. This is, this is what you're going to do. And um, do you agree with that sentiment? And is that sort of the, uh, the the approach that you took on the court? Yeah, it, no, no, you know, nobody nobody comes into uh, drug court, for example, on a winning streak, uh, and and nobody goes to uh, our first twelve step meeting uh, because they think it's going to look good on our resume. <laughs> no, uh, you know, it, it, it's uh, it took a it took a long time for me to appreciate the fact that it's okay to be an alcoholic. It's okay to be an addict as long as we're clean and sober. And it doesn't make us bad people. You know, it's, it's a disease like any other disease. And, uh, you know, as, as long as we're clean and sober, it's okay. It's, but, you know, it, it, there is a, you mentioned earlier in, the, in your introduction, the stigma associated with, yeah. with uh, addiction. And uh, and that and that is a very real uh, issue. 
you know, I think it's become more accepted, but the reality of it is that, uh, you know, that it's there, it's there. And, uh, you know, it's, it's unfortunate because the gifts of uh, sobriety, it's, it's not just about staying clean. It's about changing the way we look at things, you know, because for me, you know, yeah, I, I, I believed uh, that, you know, as long as I'm clean and sober, uh, then everything's going to work out fine. Well, life still happens. Life still happens. And, uh, you know, it's so it's it's how we live life on life's terms, uh, how we learn how to accept the unacceptable, apply the serenity prayer. You know, we ask God, you know, for the serenity to accept the things we cannot change. The courage to change the things we can and the wisdom to know the difference. Just asking just a little prayer, you know, God, please help me get through this. Uh, you know, admitting being powerless gives us incredible strength and power. Uh, being willing to ask for help, which is so hard. I mean, you know, so many of us were raised in an environment of, you know, we can handle this on our own. We don't need any help. And asking for help is a sign of weakness. I mean, it's, it's not the, uh, it's not the the few, the humble, the Marines. Uh, it's uh, you know. So it's you know the the willingness to ask for help is a strength. And once we do that, we we experience incredible power. So by requiring individuals to go to twelve step meetings to learn about the process of recovery uh and to expose individuals to people who are successful in recovery and who are winners because they are successful in recovery all of a sudden they start listening not only to their experience but to the feelings and you know go to a 12-step a meeting and we relate to people there and you know and it, just just as the disease is cunning baffling and powerful so is the process of recovery cunning baffling and powerful you know so going to 90 meetings in 90 days you you know it's like the old school way uh and all of a sudden we start realizing you know these are these are people who are laughing and having a good time and uh, they're not a bunch of sad sacks sitting around complaining about stuff they're enjoying life and listening to them and being exposed to that to the winners makes us want to become winners so you know, you know, nobody, nobody walks into a 12 step meeting, uh, for the first time because they, 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 Hey, this will be a fun thing to do. Yeah. I've got nothing and, better uh, to do on a Tuesday night. I think I'll go to an AA meeting. Right. It doesn't work that way. Right. Right. So it's, uh, so, so that's why, you know, we, you know, we make it a, a requirement of our drug court that you, that you go to not only 12 step meetings, but you have a service position uh, and I tell them coffee maker is uh, the preferred service position because AA and a meeting, you know, you've got to make somebody's got you make the coffee maker has to show up early to make the coffee. Then all of a sudden you're forced to talk to people and to and to make connections, you know, and then you got to stay afterwards to clean up and, you know, you start to connect and to relate in So a service position, a home group uh and a sponsor you know you get you get a sponsor and uh you know you got somebody that you can talk to about anything uh and and that individual becomes frankly the most important person in an individual's life in recovery uh you know it's just not talking about staying clean it's talking about issues and problems that come up and how to work through those issues without using what we did before as our fallback and that was to go get drunk uh, because things aren't happening the way we think they ought to be happening or to celebrate uh, something that did happen and uh, and then lose everything as a result. So it's uh, you know, so I think the more the more people are exposed to the benefits of recovery by seeing them in in the form of other individuals successful in recovery and listening to them and realizing that we have an awful lot of in common, Regardless of the background, it's the feelings, the, it's the approach. It, it, it then becomes what our founders have said: it's a program of attraction. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, and and that's frankly it's what I experienced, and it's what an, it's what I think everybody experiences when they come in and they're given a chance to go to meetings. Uh, you know, the ninety meetings in ninety days. There's a lot to be said for that. 
Yeah. And, and I think that's really what it comes down to. I think that's where I've changed my outlook on this is that people need to be exposed to, because it's just so hard to get people. I know people that I work with, it's so hard to get them to go and just see what we're talking about. And I think that your court, that, that was really what it was, is getting them to, to go and check it out for the first time. And when you see it, I remember early on in recovery, I was surprised because it wasn't at all what I thought. First of all, you, you mentioned people, people of all walks of life. You know, I think that there is that stigma. You know, people have, uh, the public has opinions of alcoholics and drug addicts and, you know, people that have addiction issues and they look at it as being a willpower issue, which it isn't. Um, those that are in recovery certainly know that. It, it's not about willpower at all. You, you don't will your way to sobriety. Um, then you go to the meetings and I started meeting people. I'm like, wow, this is not what I thought it was. These are not the people that I thought. I met highly successful people like yourself uh, and others. I met a, a lot of people that was like, wow, you're in recovery. And then they would look at me and say, wow, you're in recovery. And that's when I realized that you know addiction is an equal opportunity destroyer. And folks, I need you to listen to that. Addiction is an equal opportunity destroyer. It doesn't care who you are. doesn't care what race you are, what sexual preference you have where you are in society, doesn't care. It, it will destroy everybody. And um, like you mentioned, that this is, uh, you know, sometimes people admitting that powerlessness, uh, powerlessness and unmanageability. I think most of us understand our lives have become unmanageable, but the powerlessness part, and I know the community that I primarily work with, which is police, military, uh, you know, the first responder community is probably one of the hardest groups to reach because the idea of powerlessness, meaning I can't just willpower my way through this, is a difficult concept for, you know, people like me to get because I've been trained to not be powerless over anything. And um, and if you are in that category and you're listening to us right now, what you need to understand is that addiction is the one one battle, probably the only battle in your life where you win the battle by actually surrendering. It's it's really the only area. <laughs> you just surrender. You just stop fighting it. You just stop fighting the addiction. Uh, do you agree with that? Yeah. And, you know, and, and denial is such a uh, pervasive uh, theme in, in keeping individuals from accepting the gift of sobriety. Uh, and you know, it's, it, it's fun. I mean, I, it certainly was me for a long time. I mean, I, I said, there's, you know, there's no way that I can be an alcoholic because of this, because of that, because of this. And, uh, you know, and, and I had a number of, uh, you know, moments that, uh, you know, I call them moments of clarity that occurred along the way. Uh, one of which was, uh, you know, at a, when I was in, in a treatment, um, you know, finally, I, I got into it with one of the counselors. I said, you know, you can't fool me with this one day at a time crap. You're talking about not drinking again for the rest of our lives. And he looks at me and he goes, you know, Nelson, you might be one of these people who's too smart to get this simple <laughs> program. And, I, you know, I had, no, I had nothing to say to that. I mean, it was like, uh, you know, <laughs> is he complimenting me? Am I, you know, it's, you know, because oh, it you. Is, it's simple. <laughs> Yeah, and uh, and it's 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 something that uh, stuck with me. The uh, first uh, AA meeting I went to, you know, it was kind of like these, you know, the question is asked, "Do you want what we have?" And I'm thinking, no, I don't want what you have. I just want to be able to to drink and not have people bugging me about it. And uh, so I'm doing my sentence and serving my time in this rehab, and then I'll get out and people leave me alone. Uh, but you wanted I, to fix I, your I back problem. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So, you know, I'm, I'm seeing the peace of mind and the serenity and the joy that each of these individuals in recovery that brought the AA meeting to, to Montgomery General Hospital have. And even though I wouldn't admit it, God forbid, I'll admit that I, I want to be doing what they're doing. Uh, you know, I did. I did. And, uh, and it was part of the breakdown of this denial process that I went through. And, um, you know, it's it, the way I look at it. If if I have to ask the question whether or not I'm an alcoholic or an addict, I've answered it just by asking it. Because people who aren't don't ask, don't wonder. But those of us who are have asked that question, and just by asking it, we've answered it. And uh, and for me, the the turning point really was after you know a you know, you know a painful year. Uh, I was trying to help me and I said, you know, I just can't stop. And he says, you know, Nelson, you might be one of these people 
that has to go through more pain and suffering before you're willing to do whatever it takes. And that really, that was the turning point for me. I mean, at that point, I just made a decision right then and there, you know, don't drink, go to meetings on a daily basis and shut the hell up and listen. And, uh, you know, and, and it was truly a gift. It was a gift. And, um, you know, my original sponsor, uh, the late brother Alexis Norton, uh, an incredible man, uh, he said, he used to say, you know, not only grateful to be a recovering alcoholic, but every time I heard that, I thought they were a grateful nut. The reality <laughs> of it is, uh, you know, he said, I'm not only grateful to be a recovering alcoholic, I'm grateful to be an alcoholic. Because without the experiences that I went through to get here, without the pain and suffering that I went through to get here, I would not have found this wonderful way of life and you wonderful people. And that's quoting straight out of Brother Alexis, a, a giant in recovery. And, uh, and that is so true. That That is so true. And I have thought that in my life, looking back on it. Again, I've got, you know, like you, I've got some time behind me in recovery where I can reflect upon the experiences. And in a way, I and I would have never said this in the beginning, but I feel grateful now that I, I had this experience, this what was a horrible experience in the beginning, but is actually a great experience because I have a way of looking at life and my spiritual life has developed in a way that I know, I know it would have never developed the way that it did any other way. There, there's no way it would have de- yeah. developed. Yeah, let me ask you, yeah. let me ask you this too, yeah. because I, I have a number of people that I work with, uh, particularly in my community, and maybe you ran into this in the drug court. One of the things about treatment, you know, and getting the people the help that they need, I run into this quite a bit. And and I was like this to a certain extent when I, in, in, in my early days is, you know, I, I realize I need to go to a detox. I realize I need to go to a treatment center for my, my issue. It, it's just out of control, but I can't leave work. I can't, you know, I, you know, you don't understand, Mike, I can't take a month off from work or I can't take a week off, off from work. And so they, they try to fight it themselves or they try to go to their uh, private practitioner to get medication. In a, in obvi- but these people don't understand what medication they need. Oftentimes their uh, uh, family physician doesn't understand recovery. And they, they, so they, it seems like the blind leading the blind. What would you say to a person like that? I just don't, you don't understand. I can't take time off from what I'm doing to address this. What would you say to them? You know, it's uh, the, the old school way of, of, of doing, of, you know, 90 meetings in 90 days uh, is, you know, is great. Uh, but the reality of it is, you know, until we get away from the environment and until we get away from the outside influences that are interfering with our ability to be self-honest, which I think will occur in a 30-day time period, just, you know, maybe, you know, there are outpatient programs uh, that, that can assist people in treatment. The ideal is to, is to take 30 days, uh, 28 days, I think was what it used to be, uh, to go to intru- into treatment. Um, it, it, you know, insurance covers a lot of it, uh, a lot of it, you know, it, but essentially, it's a, it's a life or death situation. And, uh, and, you know, you can, you can try it your way, uh, but your way hasn't worked in the past. And uh, you want to keep doing that, uh, you're just going to end up uh, dead or in jail. So it's up to you. And, uh, you know, this is something that will, it's a gift that will change the rest of your life. You know, it's one, but, but it, it the overall process of getting clean, uh, requires being committed to, you know, just a new way of life and, you know, starts with staying clean, you know, li- applying the 12 steps, understanding what we need to do. And, um, and, and the easiest way to do that, the best way to do that, I think is to, is to, is to take some time away. And then, and then once that time away is finished, change the way we do things, you know, get to meetings daily, have a sponsor, and, uh, and and continuing to build on what we learned during that during that treatment session, uh, you know, it's yeah. So I just think that 
you know, I, I understand that the pressures, uh, the economics and the ability to, to do that. But, uh, you know, this life, this is a life or death issue. And, uh, and it's just something that has to be treated as such. And, you know, unless it is, then I just think it's, you know, individuals are going to experience more pain, suffering, and even death if they, if they don't take that opportunity to, uh, to address their disease. And, and you hit a key point there, and that's what I tried to instill in the people that question me on this, is that when we say this is a disease, now because I, I know in, in, in our society today, a lot of people throw out a lot of terms that are put out really for effect. That is not what is going on here. If you have the disease of addiction, and that's exactly what it is, um, it is a deadly disease. It is a very serious disease that will kill you. Now, the bonus is that it'll take everything from you first, friends, family, careers, hopes, dreams. Then it will kill you. And it's to, it is very serious, and you have to take it very seriously. And there's an old saying in AA, and that is that anything you put before your recovery, you're going to lose anyway. So recovery first, and if you talk to anybody that has any length of time of sobriety, they will tell you that the first order of business in their life is their recovery. That goes before anything else in their life because they know that they will lose lose anything that they put in front of it. And that's what people have to understand is if you had cancer or if you have diabetes, you don't go in and argue with a doctor about what the treatment for your cancer is going to be. You, you will try it. In fact, you'll try experimental things. But I, I think that addiction is really the only disease where we all sit back and argue with the people that understand what need to be done. Um, yeah. it's, it's just amazing. And, you know, and I'm not laughing because that was me. That was me in the beginning. But again, if yeah. you're listening to us, you need to understand that this is serious. You're going to die from this if you don't address it. You must address it like a very serious medical condition because it is a very serious medical condition. Yeah, you know, the late Sandy Beach uh, used to have a, uh, he was up in this area and he would do a Saturday morning live program. Uh, and he would, every Saturday he'd, he'd do a discussion on the steps and, and you can, you can get him on YouTube. He, he is incredibly clever. Uh, he is a way of bringing recovery alive in, in a humorous fashion, but it's all based upon the, the, the principles of AA and NA and the 12 steps. But, you know, one of the things that, uh, that I remember vividly that he, would say is you know all right just uh, why don't you just you know let's just try it for 30 days uh, don't use don't drink uh, go to meetings every day and, uh, and you know and you know and see what you think you know just give it a chance what have you got to lose you know all right I don't know if you're an addict or an alcoholic only you can make that decision but give it a shot just see what happens you know just just see how it goes for 30 days. Just give it 30 days. Don't do the 90 and 90. Give it 30 days. You know, don't use, go to meetings, do that on a daily basis and see what happens. Keep an open mind, you know, and, you know, just, just like the disease is uh, cunning, baffling and powerful. So is the recovery because we start going to meetings and all of a sudden we realize, you know, these are people that I can relate to. These yeah. are people that have the same Feelings I have about things, the same reaction to things, and uh, and here they are enjoying life, laughing and having a good time, and uh, and I do want what they have. I may not admit it because God forbid I ever admit that I'm wrong, <laughs> but uh, you know, but I, but I do want what they have, and, and it, it is such a gift. So I mean, just you know, my suggestion would be just give it a shot, give it a make a commitment right now today. All right, I'm not going to take anything. I'm not going to drink. I'm not going to use anything. And I'm going to go to a meeting today. Do the same thing tomorrow. The same thing tomorrow. You know, try it for 30 days. You know, the old, you know, pledge with Lent, you know, just, uh, you know, just give it a shot and, uh, you know, and then see where you are after that. And, uh, you know, give yourself a chance. It's, you know, it's all we're asking. Just give yourself a chance. Uh, you know, I've experienced gifts that I never, ever thought possible. But the thing that what recovery has done for me uh, is helped me get through what was really probably the darkest time in my life. And, and uh, you know, and hopefully I won't experience anything like it again. And that's when 
my daughter was diagnosed with uh, ovarian cancer mm-hmm. uh, back in 2006, and uh, and she died uh, November 11, 2008. And uh, you know, if and I was in despair. I was in a dark place, and uh, and, and a woman in recovery shared about losing her husband. Uh, to cancer and how we're powerless over life. And sometimes the only thing we can do is show up and be present. And that's what I started to do with Kimberly. And uh, and I, I just showed up and I was present and I was with her when she died. And uh, and I, I teach a course uh, and I was, I, I helped a student get a job and the night she died, a student gave me a gift, a bottle of uh, single malt scotch as a gift and I was with her when she died and I was so angry and depressed uh, you know I, you know I was going to drink it the hell with this the hell with this I was angry at God I was angry at life and uh, fortunately my, my wife was there after she died and we we're together and I, and I and I said to, I said to Mary I said I got a bottle with me she said what Give it to me, you know, and I knew that would be the answer, but it was that close. And it, it, and the gift of recovery allowed me to be present for her throughout that. It allowed me to accept the help that I needed to accept and allowed me to be part of her life. Can you imagine how I would have felt if I had been drinking during that whole period of time? Because I wouldn't have been there. I wouldn't have been present. How guilty I would have felt about that. I could not have lived with myself. So the gift of this program of recovery has helped me through the darkest, most difficult times of my life because God is there. or Higher power is there. Other people are there. I believe God speaks us through other people. And uh, it it helps me get through that. And, uh, you know, it's something that I wish I'd never had to experience that. I wish Kimberly was still with me, but it's something that uh, that without the program of recovery, uh, you know. And this is this occurred while I was an active, you know, sitting judge with uh, with 28 years of sobriety, a founder of drug court. You know, I was that close. It was that close to packing it all in. You know, the the, the despair and the you know, how I felt, uh, but the reality of it is, I had. I had a good sponsor. I had good support. I could talk to about people, and uh, you know, we're powerless over life. And uh, you know, so it's it's really, you know, this program of recovery, uh, the principles of recovery. It's not it's it's not about staying, you know, not drinking. It's about change, changing the way we look at things, changing our approach to things, and being willing to accept. Life on life's terms. So it's, uh, you know, to me, this is just an incredible gift uh, that I've been able to receive in recovery, and I've been, I've enjoyed incredible experiences as a result. Uh, very well said, and you're absolutely right. And that's one of the things I learned in recovery. Uh, and if you're new to recovery or searching for recovery, there's a misconception, and that is that people think that AA is there to teach you how to not drink. And that's really not the case. The program is based on training you not to pick up the first drink, not to start drinking, and and how to do that in those darkest of times like you just experienced. And um, and I have not experienced anything like that in my life in recovery so far, but I've, I've had other very difficult uh, experiences. And I know that, thank goodness, I had been very well grounded in recovery before those things happened. And um, and I was able to get through it like you were without picking up that first drink, because that's really what it comes down to. And it's, yeah, just a uh, just a phenomenal program, and it's just a great way of life. And and um, just a thank you so much for, for everything that you've, you've shared with us today. Really enjoyed it. Do you have any uh, parting thoughts for anybody before we close out? Uh, you know, I think we've said it. We've said it all. It's uh, basically give yourself a chance. You've got nothing to lose. Uh, you know, it's it's an anonymous program. I mean, one of the things I thought was, you know, I'm going to go to an AA meeting and, and you know, people are going to say, hey, guess who I saw at an AA meeting? Well, no. <laughs> you know, that that doesn't happen. 
uh, first off, whoever they say that to is going to look at them and go, what were you doing? At exactly. <laughs> well, wait a minute. Wait, but, what were you doing there? <laughs> that, that doesn't happen. You know, you, that was one of the, you know, one of the things that I, in my own, um, you know, ability to uh, justify not going to meetings uh, that I've used, it was, which was nuts looking back on it. Uh, just, you know, give yourself a chance. I mean, the, the, these challenges that we face today with, uh, you know, with, and hopefully the in-person meetings will resume, you know, it, it, we're having to go to meetings uh, on Zoom with that personal connection, I think is so important, so important. So, you know, Zoom is, is, a, is, is the option now, but the in-person meetings will be back and it's just important. Give yourself a chance. You've got nothing to lose, got nothing to lose, but giving yourself a chance and see what happens. Just take it one day at a time. Sometimes it's one minute at a time, you know, just for this moment. Don't drink. Give yourself a chance. Go to a meeting. Keep an open mind. Be willing to change. It's, yeah. it's simple. It's Very simple. well said. Very well said. I, I really appreciate it. Th- thank you for joining us today. Really. Well, thanks thank for so having much. me, uh, Mike. All right. Uh, and so, everybody, this episode has been... Sponsored by FHE Health, according to SAMHSA, first responders are 30% more likely to develop behavioral health conditions like PTSD. FHE Health specializes in getting first responders better and cleared for duty. Find out more at FHEHealth.com. That's FHEHealth.com. And so as I always like to say, I don't represent any group, although we do talk about um, AA in this episode and 12-step programs. We don't represent any group. So if we've said anything that you don't agree with or you don't want to use, then just just go ahead and discard that. But try to take something that may be helpful to you. So that's what we do in recovery. We help ourselves along the way, and we help to impart the knowledge we've gained to others as well. So with that, please visit our Facebook page, which is Recovery is Possible, and our website, VanMeterWellnessSolutions.com. Let me know how I'm doing, and let me know if there's a topic you're interested in hearing. I'd love to hear from you. Take care, and I will see you next time.